word. Lord, you are good. You are kind and you have been so good to speak to me and I cannot wait to share with your people. And I ask for your spirit of grace and discernment to fill this place right now, please. Lord, you're kind and you are good. You are holy and you are just. And we worship you right now and we, we, we ask that you speak to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. I want everyone, uh, by the way, if we need to adjust the heat, is it getting warm or is it just me? Because my bones are on fire. It's like a prophet thing. Okay. (laughs) Some of us who are of a little more portly than others, it's like it's burning up in there. Okay. So I I got you. All right. Uh, They'll they'll drop it down to 45 degrees and we'll be feeling real good here in just a minute. Um, Everybody turn to 1 Corinthians 10. 1 Corinthians 10. And I want you to see something. 1 Corinthians 10. I want you to look at verse verse 11. This is a comment about some of the stories in the Old Testament. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11. Now, these things happened to them as an example for us that they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. All right. That's a really good idea to have, a good perspective to have. The story about Adam and Eve, the story about Noah, the story about Abraham and Isaac and all these these great stories were written for our instruction that we can learn wisdom from the stories. Does this make sense? Okay. These Old Testament stories are important. They're epic. They're big stories, and they teach us themes and ideas and truth that can help a man, help a woman walk straight. They're very, very important, okay? So, with that in mind, let's turn to the story that God has revealed to me to share with you. Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4. This is a big story, all right? And... uh, Yeah, this is a big story. I want to set up chapter 4 by picking up just the last part of verse 3. Let me remind you what happened. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were three Hebrew young men who refused to bow and worship a false god. And they were thrown into the fiery furnace. You remember that. And you remember that while in the furnace, they recognized a fourth person. And this is God's divine representative. We, as Christians, say it's Jesus. All right? In this miraculous story. Well, when they pulled the men out of the furnace, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, he sees what happens. And in verse 28 of chapter 3, he confesses something. He responds and he says, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who put their trust in him. Listen to this language. This is big time devotion language. These guys, these three men, put their trust in him, violating the king's command, and yielded up their bodies so as to not serve or worship any other god except their own god. Wow. How's that for devotion? 
So therefore, boy, the king is inspired now. He's going to get real spiritual. So therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or tongue that speaks anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb. That sounds nasty. And their houses reduced to rubbish, a rubbish heap, inasmuch as there is no other God who is able to deliver in this way. Does that sound like some pretty serious heavy hitter faith? Like, wow, we would almost say Nebuchadnezzar is like converted. This is interesting. Okay. Now watch what happens. This guy, and by the way, this is, this is, this next section in chapter four is, it's written as a song. Okay. So Nebuchadnezzar is actually, he wrote a lyric, like a worship song, something you'd hear on K-Love. Okay, their version of K-Love. I'm not crazy, this is true. You're laughing at me. But pay attention to the words. Something really technical is going to be revealed here. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of all the peoples, nations, and men of every language, ooh, this sounds big, that live in all the earth. Wow, Nebuchadnezzar must be a pretty important person, eh? May your peace abound it has seemed good to me. He's writing first person. Nebuchadnezzar is saying, hey, you know, it seems good to me to declare the signs and wonders which the Most High God, that is Yahweh, has done for me. Let's engage in a humble brag. Okay, let's talk about how God has been good to me. And then hear the lyrics to the song. How great are your signs and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. Does that sound like something a Christian would say? A true believer in Yahweh? What do you think? Does, does it sound like real faith? Yes, it does. Sure sounds that way, Terry, doesn't it? Anybody else? This is absolutely not the case at all. Not at all. Now the big story. Here it comes. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and flourishing in my palace. And I saw a dream and it made me fearful. And these fantasies as I lay on my bed and the visions in my mind kept alarming me. So I gave orders to bring into my presence all the wise men of Babylon that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the conjurers, the Chaldeans, and the diviners came in, and I related the dream to them, but they could not make its interpretation known to me. But finally, Daniel came in before me, whose name is Belshazzar, according to the name of my God. Nebuchadnezzar names Daniel Belshazzar according to his pagan God. Do you know what the name Belshazzar means? It means the one who protects the king. He wants Daniel to assimilate into Babylonian paganism and so he names Daniel Belshazzar. 
and it's his job to protect him, the king. So, and look at this. I named him Belshazzar according to the name of my God, and in whom is a spirit of the holy gods. He thinks Daniel is a magician. And I related the dream to him, saying, O Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, since I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery baffles you, tell me the vision of my dream, which I have seen, along with its interpretation. Now these were the visions in my mind as I lay in my bed, and I was looking, and behold, there was a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew large and became strong, and its height reached to the sky, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its foliage was beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the sky dwelt in its branches, and all living creatures fed themselves from it. And I was looking in the visions in my mind as I lay on my bed, and behold, an angelic watcher, an angel assigned to pay attention, a holy one descended from heaven, and he shouted out, and the angel said, chop down the tree and cut off its branches, strip it of its foliage and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it, and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump with its roots in the ground, but with a band, put a band of iron and bronze around it, and in the new grass of the field, and let him be drenched with the dew of heaven, and let him share with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man, and let a beast's mind be given to him, and let seven years of time, seven periods, seven seasons, pass over him. This sentence is the decree of the angelic watchers. And the decision is a command of the holy ones. In order that the living may know that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it whom he wishes. And he even sets it uh, sets it over the lowliest of men. This is the dream which I had. I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you, Belshazzar, assigned to protect me, tell me its interpretation inasmuch as none of the wise men of my kingdom is able to make known the interpretation. But you are able, for a spirit of the holy gods is in you. I know you're a magician in the pagan spirit of that. Daniel, verse 19. Then Daniel, whose name is Belshazzar, was appalled. His thoughts alarmed him. The king could see it. And the king said, Belshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation alarm you. Belshazzar replied, my Lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies, to those who hate you, in its interpretation to your adversaries. The tree that you saw, which became large and grew strong, whose height reached to the sky and was visible to all the earth, and whose foliage was beautiful and its fruit abundant, 
in which food was for all, under which the beasts of the tree of the field dwelt, and in whose branches the birds of the sky lodged. It is you, O king. You are the tree. You have become great and grown strong, and your majesty has become great and reached to the sky, and your dominion to the ends of the earth. In that the king saw an angelic watcher, a holy one descending from heaven, saying, chop it down and destroy it, yet leave the stump with its roots in the ground. Look at this. Verse 25, verse 24. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king. You will be driven away from mankind and your dwelling place will be the beasts of the field and you will be given grass to eat like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven for seven years will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. And in that, it, had, it was commanded to leave the stump. Look at verse 27. Therefore, O king, please hear, this is so important. Verse 27. Therefore, O king, may my advice be pleasing to you. Break away now from your sins by doing righteousness and from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor in case there may be a prolonging of your prosperity. Verse 27 is about God saying to Nebuchadnezzar, the root issue is there's a root of pride in you and you have a chip on your shoulder against the poor. You think you have a right to dominate people, even the poor and those who are helpless. And he's, Daniel is saying, God has pronounced judgment, and yet God is a God of mercy. Don't miss your window to repent. Does anybody here know what the word, Edie, you're nodding. What does the word repent mean? What's that? Yes, someone else, what does repent mean? Literally, it means metanoia, change your mind. The implication is, Edie, you're going to change direction once you change your mind, right? If you're going in the wrong direction, how about change your mind, go in the right direction? Not hard. It's repentance. It's, the, it's a healthier way of thinking. It's God's way of thinking. Okay. He gives him a chance. Now watch this. Verse 28. All this happened to Nebuchadnezzar the king. Twelve months later. <laughs> Twelve months later. Sometimes we put the will of God off, don't we? We know the right thing. We know. And yet we put it off, don't we? Twelve months later, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king reflected and said, Is this not Babylon the great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power, for the glory of my majesty? While the word was in his mouth, while he was saying this, 
a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it was declared, sovereignty has been removed from you. And at that moment, he became insane and took on the mind of an ox. And he was led out to pasture and he walked about and that lasted for seven years. It said that his hair became almost like dreadlocks, like layered feathers on an eagle. And his fingernails grew out like claws. For seven years, he didn't trim his nails. For seven years, that happened. He was eating grass like a cow. Verse 34. But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored him who lives forever. And now he sings another song. If you read the text, it's lyrics for a song. And this is the lyric to his song. Now he's, now he's really worshiping. This is the real deal now. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. Did you notice how he changed from, instead of it being about his dominion, now it's about his. His dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation, and all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. No one can ward off his hand and, or say to him, you know, what have you done? And at that time, my reason returned to me, and my majesty and splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom and my counselors and my nobles began seeking me out. So I was reestablished in my sovereignty. And my surpassing greatness was added back to me. He was restored as king. Now look at verse 37. This is the conclusion of the story. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are true. And his ways are just. And he is able to humble those who walk in pride. Wow. So what's the point of the story? It's about a king who became abusive in his arrogance, abusive in his pride, and was humbled by Almighty God. And that king had a chance. He heard the will of God, put it off for a year, because I guess maybe he thought, you don't have to take God's will seriously. And as he is praising himself, right when the words are in his mouth, God robs him of his sanity to teach him a lesson. He becomes as an ox. And then finally, after seven years, he realizes he's not the great man he thought he was. All right. I want you to pay attention to this. Go back to chapter 3. You know, there are some people who consider themselves followers of Jesus. They use church language. They pray in the name of Jesus. And they can see a miracle, just like Nebuchadnezzar had seen a miracle when three Hebrew young men, by the way, he changed their names too, by the way. Those are their pagan names. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego are all pagan names. 
saw the, the miracle of the fiery furnace experience. And they can get all goosebumpily and get all whoop whoop. Wow. Huh? Check it out. And they can, and, and almost being able to see those things, it's inverted and becomes a kind of pride toward themselves. Like God thinks I'm so special. He can show me how cool he is. You know, and God's going to do something miracle. And I'm going to claim it like I somehow deserve to get to see it. And that's why it says in 4.2, Daniel 4.2, it seemed good to me to throw some praise at God because after all, he is so good to me to let me see his tricks. This is pride and shallow worship. Sometimes we as followers of Jesus, we take things about our faith. We take things about the faith of other people And we become very manipulative with them. And our faith is very shallow. And we can sing our lyrics to Caleb and and those great songs. But But our hearts are really far from God. They're really far. Because a root of pride is so deeply set inside of us. We get this idea that God is here to serve us. God is here to make us have ease. And God is here to make us flourish. A kind of name it and claim it kind of theology. And when this pride sets in, we lose the ability to have mercy. We lose the spirit of kindness. And we think we can take advantage of people. And then when God does speak to us, we don't think we have to take it seriously. We can put God off for a year. And then God says, okay, buddy. I'm going to show you what power looks like. And then we end up thinking and acting like an animal. And that lasted seven years. And then finally, Nebuchadnezzar's heart breaks and he realizes his pride has set him up for a major spiritual fall and he's restored. And then he's able to write a song that's now deep and true and authentic. And he's able to say, God is the true God. And he's able to humble those who walk in pride. You are the gifted body of Christ. You are the church. If you're born again, the Holy Spirit is inside of you and you have gifts that are designed to push us toward the imitation of Jesus so that we become like him. We would say the kinds of things he would say and we would do the kinds of things that he would do. And that includes being humble. That includes showing mercy to the poor. It includes trusting God. Now you're hearing this great story of faith, which was written for our instruction. I want you to counsel yourselves well. What difference can this make in our lives right here, right now, as people who claim to be followers of Jesus?
on the field. Yeah, that's really cool. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't wait a year. Yeah. That's cool. Quick to obey. That's good. Quick to obey. And by the way, we want our kids to obey as quickly, don't we? We call it instant obedience with a happy heart. Yes. I'll give you raisins if you eat your green beans right now. And we, we celebrate that kind of instant. It's amazing how important that is. Someone else. Why does this matter? This amazing story of a man whose pride makes him insane like an animal. And seven years later, he figures it out. Someone else. Why does this matter? What's that? Giving glory to God builds Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's something beyond us. You know what? Now, you can't put God in a test tube, can you? And I'm so glad because if, if the first denomination do it to do it with copyright, then they think they got the monopoly. I am so glad you can't put God in a test tube. He's too big. He can't fit in there. I'm so glad. I love the mystery of God's greatness. Nebuchadnezzar, to this day, remains one of the most famous kings of the world. And God used his story to show up to know Yes, yes. And he just quoted Paul. God is using this story to teach us things. Someone else, why does this matter? David. Because the first one who had pride so much was Satan. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah. And that was the first, that was the, that was the six things that he abhors the most. Yeah. Pride is the largest. Yeah, yeah. Can, can we park there just for a minute, David? Um, uh, I want, come on, you guys, you're good counselors, let's think. What is the root issue of pride? Or what, what goes on in, when, when pride sets in? Fear. What's that? Fear. Fear, someone said fear. Well, it's all about yourself. It's all about, about yourself. Else and it's not about yeah. the Father. Yeah. Yeah. You're the greatest. Yeah. You know, I'm the greatest. Okay. So, someone else, I think. Rebellion. What's that? Rebellion. Rebellion. It can certainly be rebellion against authority. Philip? Blinding. Blinding, certainly. How, what's that? You're trying to put yourself in the place of God. Certainly, yeah. It gets to that at the end game. Uh, but how about this root idea? Everybody's given great answers. Nobody's wrong on this one. But how about this? Do you think pride has the idea that I deserve something? I deserve that. I deserve the seat of honor. I deserve uh, the title that recognizes me. If I give the big donation, I deserve my name on the building, the side of the building. Does that make sense? Pride, I, the mindset of pride is I deserve something. Right? Now that's pretty dangerous. And here's why. Do you always get what you think you deserve? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. How's marriage working out for you, by the way? You always get what you deserve? You, you think you deserve? You're great. Exactly what I'm talking about. And your kids. Perfect, flawless, obedient kids. How's that working out for you? Yes. Well, and the pride goes to, like with Satan's pride, he wants to be worshipped as God. So Thinks he deserves it. And there's a composition again. Okay. Now, now let's just pick on the men for just a little bit, okay? Because you know the men, they deserve it. So, okay, so men are pride issues. Thank you. Testosterone is a poisoning agent from the head to the toes. So men are pride issues, right? Okay, if a man thinks he deserves when he doesn't get what sets in? Anger. Anger. Whoa. When the king doesn't get his way, the king gets mad. And now the pouting begins. Pouting punishment and passive-aggressive behaviors kick in because that's how you force your way into getting what you want. Ladies, do you struggle with pride? Some of you women are going, I understand, I understand. 
Ladies, do you struggle with pride? Do you think there's certain things you deserve? And when you don't get them, you can kick in your passive-aggressive behaviors too. Sure, sure we can. Hey, Chris. Yes, sir? I want to just say you will get what you deserve. <laughs> Eventually, huh? You're going to become an ox and you're going to you know, like eat grass. It's going to come. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. From God's perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there's a passage in the, about the Old Testament where it says that, it's in the Psalms, Randy, and it says, God gave them the request of their lips, but sent leanness to their souls. You know what that means? Sometimes you can get so much of what you want, you end up be starving to death on the inside. Yeah, you know, it's like God's not a genie in a bottle. You rub it, you get three wishes, and you get your way, you get your way, you get your way. No, no, that's, that's not what life's about. So, someone else, the story of Nebuchadnezzar. By the way, which means uh, Nebu protects the crown. Nebu, Nebuchadnezzar in Hebrew. Nebu protects the crown. Anything else on how this moves into our world today, the dangers of pride? Or how about this, the dangers of shallow faith? You know, because after he saw that real cool miracle, he was like, whoop, whoop. God is one of many options, and I'm just going to give him a little shout out. Little Caleb turned to one of my many options. And we thought, oh, I, I just love his spirit. Oh, my goodness. But no, dude, that was, all, that was all shallow. That was all half-hearted kind of faith. It wasn't until he was broken of his pride that he really could. See God for who He really is. Pride separates you from people. What's that, sir? Pride separates you from people. Yeah, it sure does. Makes an animal out of you. It sure does. You become very brute. Philip. I like to ask questions nowadays. So what I want to ask is, uh, what is the benefit of being humble in your Christian mm -hmm. walk? Why is humility helped you grow in your faith? What do you think, church? He's asking. So, so if pride is a vice and humility is a virtue. Why, why is humility so important, Michael? Just to share from experience in, uh, in the land of the working, I've seen a complete change in how I uh, perceive people and, and how those relationships were versus how they are now with the former being prideful, thinking that um, I'm the one that should be in charge, I know how to do this better, uh, to the point now where I actually am in charge, and my attitude now is, you know, just being able to focus on the positives of a person. Uh, and the reason I say that is because it can, it'll just change your relationship with them. I've had other managers that I've clashed with many, many times over the years. And when I started taking a step back from what separates us, and looked at the positives and what I had learned, then, then our relationship became better and we became able to work together better. Um, but more importantly, it opens the door to, to down the road, hopefully be able to have you know, spiritual conversations uh, which is <coughs> Michael, thank you. I think it was me at Matt. As a person that um, never had pride issues <coughs> and always prided myself on. So, <laughs> 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 
The Holy Spirit just spoke to me. I was going to. He, I thought he wanted me to read from John 15. He doesn't. He wants me to read from Luke 17. Can you turn to Luke 17? I want to tie this off. Um, <clears throat> what I'm about to read to you is something that can help you nail down the issue between these kind of crazy extremes. You know, let's, let's not go the way of Nebuchadnezzar and become this prideful king, nor let's go insane, insane and become a, a dew-soaked ox, you know, feeding on grass and acorns out in the field somewhere. Let's, let's try to find a healthier spot, okay? Luke 17, verse 5. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Now, the next thing he's going to say is an explaining of what mustard seed faith actually is. Once you get it, you go like, ah, now I know, now I know what mustard seed faith is. Which of you, having a slave, plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when, he come, when he's come in from the field, come immediately and sit down to eat? Does the master say that to the slave? No. Verse 8, but will he not say to him, prepare something for me to eat and properly clothe yourself and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you may eat and drink? He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded him, does he? Here it is, people. So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded you, 
simply say, we are unworthy slaves, we have done only that which we ought to have done. When that's your heart attitude, that you only do that which you ought to have done as a follower of Jesus, and you're broken by that level of humility, and you have that kind of a servant spirit, when that's your heart, and you say, God, can you move that bush? God says, I would be glad to do that for you. Let's get it moved right now. But when we have a heart of a king, and we're full of pride, and we think we deserve, and then we want to ask God like he's a magic genie in a bottle? No. And then when that happens, we think we don't have faith for God. God's not bending to our will, and so now our faith is shaken, and, not, and all that it means is that we're pretty shallow. We're just looking for some miracle to give us goosebumps, something like that. What an attitude when you say, Jesus, I'm, I'm just doing what you asked. You don't have to say thank you. I'm just doing what you asked me to do. I want to pray and bless you. Our Father, uh, Lord, we're, we're, all of us are in the story. There are times when pride sits in. It's blinding. We think we deserve. We don't get, so we become angry. When we become angry, we abuse. And then we lose our sanity. And we become like an animal. Or teach us about what it means to be broken of ourselves, set free from the chains and the bondage of our own pride and our own foolishness, and to simply love you. You want us to abide in you, just like a, just like a, a branch abides in the vine. Abba Father, would you please bless your name? Bring healing to your people. Bring a spirit of repentance to your people because you are kind. In Jesus' name, amen.